All right, let's go ahead and get started. I'm not going to get into eschatology today. Maybe, Lord willing, who knows. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we will jump in. Let's pray. Well, Father, we're just so grateful for for everything you provide us, and, and most notably this morning, bringing us here to, to sit under your word preached a little later on. Um, pray that we don't take that privilege for granted. I'm just so thankful to hear the, the, the conversations um, and uh, the many voices around um, this morning. Pray that our, our fellowship would be, be sweet with each other, that you would continue to, to, to knit our, our souls together as one body, one body of Christ. Pray that as we think about um, evangelism and the relationship with the body of Christ, with the local church, I pray that you would give us clarity of mind, even maybe uh, creativity of ways that we can come alongside of each other to, to help proclaim the gospel to the lost. We do just pray that through our, our, our faithful witness, you would bring you would bring some to Christ that, that presently do not trust in you. And we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to march forward in our study on the topic of evangelism. And specifically, I want us to think today about the, the relationship between evangelism and the local church. Or we could think about this maybe as a question. Does the, the, does the local church even have anything to do with evangelism and our personal evangelism? One thing that I noted in, in our History of Evangelism lesson a couple weeks ago is that really in recent years there seemed to be a, a divorce between evangelism and the local church, or at least a, a divide and again, specifically, I'm talking here about, about personal evangelism or, or the, the proclamation of the gospel by Christians. And I laid out why I think there, there, there are several reasons for this, including the rise of prominent evangelistic ministries of particular individuals. So it just became a practice that churches would help fund these individuals and, and ministries and get their members to invite their, their lost friends to go to a larger rally or a crusade or just a, an evangelism service, a revival, where, where the lost would hear the gospel proclaimed. And as I said in that lesson, there, there's much good that occurred during this shift and, and through these larger ministries of men like, like Billy Graham and others. And no doubt, I would, I would say, many were saved from hearing the gospel cro- proclaimed from these types of men, from these types of ministries. But a shift did occur from evangeliz- evangelism kind of moving away from the context of the local church. And another shift that occurred that I noted um, that also had many positive benef- benefits in evangelism was the rise of of parachurch ministries in the 20th century, and these parachurch organizations that that focused evangelism on a particular demographic, like like college students or or youth. 
Again, much good came from them. But with the rise of some of these parachurch organizations, evangelism has, has unhelpfully been divorced from the context of the local church. And again, I just want to be clear. I, want to re- I said this last time or in that lesson. I want to say it again. I'm not talking about every parachurch ministry. There were some that were, were very good. Not every ministry divorced um, evangelism from the local church. But just the general trend, of, as we observe of what happens over the past hundred years, a general trend is, the, is just a shift in evangelistic ministries in the, in the conservative evangelical church has been separated from the local church. And so t- today... I just want to lay out for us what negative effects that type of shift would have on evangelism by focusing positively on what the relationship of personal evangelism of Christians should be to the local church, how these two work together. And the first thing then we have to do, which I'm very excited to do, um, is to define what the church is and kind of talk about what the church is and what the church does before we can um, think about the relationship between evangelism and the church. So, I'm going to provide a very brief definition of the church, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. And specifically, I'm talking here about the, uh, the local church, and I'm getting this from this book, which I introduced the first time. It's called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus, by Max Stiles. It's pretty good. You might want to check it out. But much of what I'm getting today is from that book. Um, and Stiles, I'm tweaking his definition a little bit, but it, it's pretty good. And this is it. A local church is a gathering of believers who covenant together to meet regularly under the authority of the Word of God to visibly picture the gospel and give God glory through worship. So a local church is a gathering of believers who covenant together to meet regularly under the authority of the Word of God to visibly picture the gospel and give God glory through worship. And so let me just break down that definition for us just a little bit. So first, the local church is a gathering of believers. It's a, it's a gathering. It wasn't that long ago that this point of the definition, definition didn't need to be stopped on or explained. But it's just very important in our day and age to recognize that, that fundamental to a local church is a community. A community of believers that, that gather together in person, physically. Of course, I'm stressing this because with the, the pandemic, and really before that, the, the, there's been just this rise of online media that has given rise to the idea, the concept of an online church. And I'm just going to just state this as strongly as I can. That is just a, a contradiction in terms. Because by definition, the church must gather in a physical location to constitute a church, to be a church. Now this gathering... This assembly of, that meets in a physical location is a gathering of believers. It's a gathering of believers. 
or an assembly of Christians. This is also known more technically as having a, a regenerate church membership, a regenerate church membership. So the local church, the, the members that make up that physical gathering are Christians. It's made up of only those that are, are regenerated, born-again believers. And these born-again believers who gather together, they, they covenant together to, to meet or to assemble regularly. And this covenant doesn't have to be formal, but typically it is something like what we think of as membership in our context, where there's an agreed-upon commitment between the member to, to the other members in the community of the church and the, the leadership of the church. And so there's a commitment that, that this community, this gathering, this church is the exclusive place that you're going to, to worship. And those Christians in that community are going to be the ones that you spend most of your time with, who you're going to serve, who you're going to be loved by who you're going to, to pour out and sacrifice in and love. So the, the covenant between members and the community of the local church are those, the series of commitments and promises that Christians make that, that solidify the bond of community, that kind of formalize the, the community of the gathering. And really, it, it highlights the sacredness of being part of God's New Covenant people, of being New Covenant members in God's church. And so these Christians that gather in covenant together do so under the authority of God, under the authority of God through His Word. And really all this means is that the, the ruler of the church is not any human authority like a pope or a presbytery, or even elders or pastors. The ultimate authority of the church is Jesus Christ, who is the, the king, who is the, the ruler of his bride, which is the, the church. And so it is his word, God's word, which we, we have codified for us in the, the scriptures, that is then our ultimate authority in the local church. Therefore, the, the, the church, the local church, is regulated by the commands and principles concerning God's new covenant people, concerning the church that are found in God's word. We, 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 could think we have a, a rule, a manual, and it's found in his word alone. And we do actually have quite a bit of instruction there in God's word on what the local church is supposed to be organized like and what the local church is supposed to do. And one thing we see is that God gives each local congregation of covenanted believers, which is just a long way to say the church, God gives each congregation leaders to, to lead, teach, and, and shepherd the members of a congregation. These are called pastors or elders. Um, and the, the elders, the pastors, they're responsible with the leading of the congregation in the, in the teaching and instruction of the Word of God and responsible for the caring of the souls of the members 
of the congregation. And so then the members, then they, they, we sit under the authority of the elders and the pastors. And we receive the word taught and pastoral care and instruction. There's a, there's a relationship there between the leaders and the members. And this is really the, the life of the local church. And what this life of the local church signals or images to the world and to, and to each other, each community member in the church, what, what this signals, what it images, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see this imaging, this, this display of the gospel most clearly in the ordinances that our Lord has given us, has given his new covenant people, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So through these, these sacraments, through these ordinances, the, the local church makes the gospel visible. In, in baptism, we see the public declaration and, and the sign of new covenant membership, where believers are brought under the waters of baptism to signify the new birth they've received by grace. They're raised out of the waters to, to walk in newness of life, living in obedience to the Lordship of Christ in their lives in the local church community. And baptism is also the local church's community affirming someone's profession of faith, affirming that that profession to the community, the, the gathering, the assembly is affirming um, that the profession of faith is credible in this individual that is being baptized. So there's a, a public, or you could say there's a corporate aspect inherent in the ordinance of baptism. It pictures something. It, it, it pictures the gospel. And the same is true for the, the Lord's Supper, where we corporately proclaim the Lord's death and the benefits of his death for his people, for his new covenant people, the church. Now there's a lot more to the ordinances to that than just that. Um, and we can't get into all of it as much as I want to. But, but the ordinance is also important for the concept of evangelism. They mark off the local church from the world. That's one function of them, of who is the citizens of the kingdom of God and who are not. And that marking of who is the church and who isn't really is the foundation for something important, very important, especially in the topic of evangelism. And that is that, that, that marking that the ordinances do for us is the foundation of our community. It's our foundation of our community with each other. In that it tells us each time we partake in the supper, who is our brother and our sister in the Lord Jesus? And so it marks off it literally, who is the family of the God and who's not visibly from what we know. And we'll go, to, go into this more in a moment, but that community that's then marked off, that community that is the church, is a powerful witness to unbelievers. Now the last thing we need to see that the local church is that it's the, it's the location, you could think of it, it's the, the institution where God is glorified through his people's worship. 
through his people's worship of him. And that is what, what primarily occurs when the church gathers together under the authority of God's word. Is that the church gives God worship through, through song and, and prayer, through the declaration of his word, the, the sitting under the preaching of his word. And this ties then directly into the next question we have to ask about the, the, the relationship between the church and evangelism. So if, if, if that is what the church is, that many brief definition I just gave and unpacked, then the next question is, what does the church do? And we really just saw how there isn't, there isn't really a whole lot a church has to do to be a church. A church must regularly gather together physically. Church must sit under the word of God preached through, through a holding of a service like we do every Sunday on the Lord's Day. And that brings God glory through our worship of Him. This is the, the we could think of as the main job description of what we're to be about, what we're to do as a local church. But also, because we have covenanted together as members of this congregation, we have covenanted together for the good of each other's souls, for the good of each other's eternal souls. We also then have obligations to one another as the church, as brothers and sisters. So another thing the church is charged to do, the congregation is charged to do, is to lovingly care for each other, which creates a very unique, and I would argue a compelling community in contrast to the world. And as we think about the world, our mission to the world, the mission of each church, as far as engaging the world, engaging the lost around us, is given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which is famously known as the, the Great Commission passage. So the mission of the local church is to, to go into all nations, to make disciples by baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So that is then the, the mission of the church as we engage in, as we go into the world. So we could say that it is the church, the local church, that it, which is God's sending evangelistic team into the world. The church is the place, the location, where God sends his evangelistic team into the world to save the lost. But notice this, you may have been wondering, why is this guy talking about the church for so long? What does this have to do with evangelism? It's a good question. Because here's why it matters. Christ has given his authority. All authority that is in heaven on earth, he's given his authority to one location, one institution. The church, the local church, his new covenant community, his, his kingdom outpost. And so all authority that is in heaven and on earth is, is given to the church. And therefore, we can say that it is the church that is the, the primary place for God's strategic plan for evangelism. 
right? Going into the world with his authority. Going into the world to make disciples of all nations with the authority that he's given us to proclaim the gospel. And so Jesus does not give this authority to a parachurch ministry. He does not give this authority to evangelistic rallies, as good as those things may be. No, his presence in uniquely edifying work of his people happen in one location, one institution alone, which is the, the church. So that's basically my argument why, in that way, the church has everything then to do with evangelism. These things cannot be separated, or it's going to suffer. Our evangelism will suffer, or the church is going to suffer. Our very marching orders, our, our, our mission is given to us by our King, and it's to, to make disciples. And the only way to, to make disciples of all people and all nations is to first proclaim the gospel to those people and to teach them the gospel, which is what we've said so far in this, this series. That is fundamentally what evangelism is. It's the proclamation and teaching of the gospel to the lost. Now, all of this is just really kind of the, the foundation for the rest of our lesson here, which will get kind of practical. But, but before we get into the practical, any questions, comments so far? Mm -hmm. Two things, I think, the, the covenanting together in membership, which you already mentioned, which that's really tied closely to the, the practice of the ordinances. Um, so that's really what makes it unique, is that the ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper, is given to the church alone. So it would be improper for them to be done in another assembly like a chapel message or any other good thing that Christians gather to do. Um, because in that, those ordinances, it marks off the covenant community. Um, it, it, it's the, what I said, the, the foundation of our community. But good question. Anything else? I think it's a helpful distinction, visible and invisible. It's, it's, it's true. There are, I, I like kind of universal and local, that referring to um, invisible or universal, referring to all Christians everywhere. Um, but it's always, at least in Scripture, I would argue, manifested in local churches. Well, I was just thinking all churches are not reliable. Okay, I see what you're saying. There's definitely false churches, um, and we need to make those distinctions as we think about just because someone says they're a church or a, a community of people says, say they're a church definitely doesn't mean they are a church um, because I think a big part of that definition is sitting under the authority of the Word of God. So if you deny the gospel, you, you, you're, you're fundamentally denying that aspect, then you're not actually a church. You're not, sin you're not sitting under any authority because you reject the Word of God. Mr. Autry, again. Yes. I didn't want to go there this morning, because it, but you're onto something good. It sounded like you might have an answer to your own question there, so you can just give it to us. Well, 
Daten. <lacht> Okay, I'll just call you Socrates now. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're onto something good there, which is good, and hopefully I'll get to it here in a second. No, this is good. Anything else? I have a lot less notes today, so y'all can talk. Yeah, that's good. I like the manicured lawn thing, it's good. Okay, so now I just wanna think about some direct, or you think uh, practical ways that the church and personal evangelism relate. And this can be kind of interactive if you want. Um, given, right, given my argument that the church is central to evangelism. If that's true, then this is gonna work out and it's what, it, it's going to work out itself in practical ways. And so the first point of connection is probably really obvious, is that the local church is the primary place a Christian will grow in his or her knowledge and understanding of the gospel, the gospel we're to proclaim. So the local church then is where we're fed in the word. And by coming week after week to hear the, the regular preaching of the word and engaging in the word-centered ministries of the church, Christians will, will grow. We'll grow in our, our knowledge and our, our spiritual, we'll grow in our spiritual maturity, we'll grow in our, in our holiness. And both of these types of growth, right, a kind of intellectual knowledge of the gospel and an experiential knowledge of a, of a transformed life are necessary in our evangelism efforts. So one way to view the local church then is a sort of equipping ground to, to go out and engage the world with, with, engage the world with gospel proclamation. I was trying to think of an illustration for this. I couldn't think of anything. Maybe a charging center, um, a cafeteria. That doesn't sound right. Somewhere you're, you're getting fed really well to be nourished to go exist and live your life. So the gathering on Sunday... And Sunday school, other ministries function, right, to fill us up, to fill us up. They, they equip us. They, they supply what we need to, to, to exist in the world, to minister to the lost, to engage in the commission given to us by our Lord. And I think this just kind of makes a lot of sense. The primary way that we will be equipped with the ability to proclaim and teach the gospel to the lost is if we're being taught the gospel message ourselves. If we, if we grow and we actually understand the message, it's a key, extremely important aspect in evangelism is to have a true understanding of the gospel that we are to proclaim. And that's exactly what happens when we gather, when we gather together every week. So this is the first, and I would say probably the most obvious way the local church and evangelism are connected. By being the primary location we're nourished, the primary location that we're equipped to bring the gospel to the lost. A second way the church helps with evangelism is through something we touched on a bit earlier, and that is evangelism, doing evangelism in community with other believers doing evangelism with 
the church. And if I look back at my own Christian walk, I would say the single thing that has encouraged me most to be faithful in my own personal evangelism, so my own personal witnessing of the gospel, has been living closely in a community of believers who encouraged me in this way, or even held me accountable to, to witness. And I think there's good reason for this. We see in the New Testament that evangelism is, is even a spiritual gift that God has appointed, or God has even appointed evangelists in the churches, in the local church. So there are those that are particularly gifted in evangelism to the lost, in, in the proclamation and teaching of the gospel. That is the, the way that the Lord has gifted them. And I think one of the ways those individuals gifted in this area of evangelism serve, or the way they, they build up or edify the body, which remember that's, that's, that's why the spiritual gifts are primarily given, for the building up of the body. So one of the ways with someone with the gift of the evangelism builds up the body is by an, being an encouragement, or, or you could say a model, an example to the rest of the flock. And this really gets at the idea of something that's kind of hard to define, but, but of having a, a local church having a culture of evangelism in a congregation. And by culture, I mean, I mean something that springs up naturally or, or organically within a congregation. So without the aid of, of programs or, or a more structured evangelistic strategies. And I would argue that this is the, it is this type of organic culture of evangelism that is to be most desired in a local church. But one way to, to build this culture of evangelism, probably the most important way, is to have those gifted by God, those that, those that God has gifted in this way, to be evangelist, to be a model, to, to encourage others to follow their lead. And some of this, I think, is just kind of human nature. If one person is doing something well, and then a few others follow, it will lead to more people wanting to get involved. This is just how God has, I think, set us up as, as creatures. And in the realm of evangelism, it's a wonderful a truly wonderful blessing to the rest of the congregation. So I have a, a personal historical example of this in my own life, not me personally, um, being the one gifted to evangelize, but I was blessed by it, which I'll tell you. So one of my previous churches um, that I was a member of, there was, a, there was one brother there who was particularly passionate about evangelism. I think he was, he was very gifted in it. Um, he decided one day to begin spending his Saturdays going to a, a, a place in the city that had a high traffic of people that would go there. It's called the Walking Bridge. And so he would go to the Walking Bridge every Saturday, and he just decided he'd spend a couple hours there just getting to know the people, sharing the gospel if it was appropriate. Well, over time, a couple of months, Word spread through the congregation of what this brother was doing, and other members wanted to, to help, or it started with just kind of a couple other guys tagged along to, to help in his evangelistic endeavor. 
And the more people that began going led to more people wanting to go and to participate. It kind of just snowballed into a bigger ministry that at sometimes there was over 35 to 40 members going um, to the walking bridge. And it all happened within the span of about a year, six months, maybe nine months. And I was just, it was a glorious thing to witness. Because even folks who were, were deathly afraid to talk to a stranger, let alone proclaim the gospel to the stran- a stranger, they would go and they would, they would witness how other brothers and sisters articulated the gospel. And it helped their own ability, their own confidence in their proclamation. In fact, they also just encouraged some people to come and just pray. They, they didn't have to speak, but they would just be in the conversation and pray for the salvation of the person they were talking with. So it really became just this, this whole body experience. Those that were particularly gifted and those that could barely speak outside of their own home. Right? A full spectrum. And so eventually what started out was just one guy who is gifted in evangelism. Um, one guy in this way led to many in the body being faithful and encouraged through their evangelism. And it eventually led to the elders of that church making it a more formal ministry that just sprung up organically. It wasn't something they they planned to do, but because of the faithfulness of one member, the giftedness of one member, and kind of the snowball effect of it, it became a a more formal ministry of the church where it was prayed for through the service and the the other um, prayer meetings. It was even given resources financially to help aid it. And here's the wonderful thing that I took from this lesson that I hope to give to us, is that any congregation can do this. It doesn't take some elaborate scheme or like marketing plan or, or any strategy like that that makes me cringe, maybe makes you cringe. It's just faithful, faithful, gifted brothers and sisters being willing to go to the lost with the gospel. And the wonderful thing is that it, it ministers to the body of Christ in a wonderful way. That, that grows Christians in our maturity and faithfulness as we're faithful to go to the, to the lost and to proclaim the gospel. So it's, it's edifying to the body in that way. Stop. Any comments, questions? Another aspect of the, the Christian community, so the local church that's beneficial to evangelism, is actually, I would argue, the community itself. Our community itself is helpful in evangelism. So just think about this for a moment. The, the church is the new covenant people of God that, that is adopted into God's family, made citizens of God's kingdom, and this community is, is fundamentally a supernatural community. Not that we have superpowers or something like that, although maybe the, the spiritual gifts could be viewed as that. Maybe that's a kid's book. It's got to be a kid's book, right? Maybe I'll ask Andrea. We can become rich. Um, oh, man, I'm lost. Superpowers. Uh, the community of believers is supernatural in that we all have been saved into a new family. Uh, we've, been, we've been brought into a new community not by our own doing. 
something supernatural occurred by God's sovereign grace to bring us to new life, to bring us into a new covenant community. And the community, the church, is grounded in the gospel. It's the foundation of our relationship towards each other, meaning that the forgiveness of our sins, that the members of the church have had their sins forgiven, and now we must relate to each other in that way with the gospel as our foundation, and we must forgive when offense is had to us, given to us. We must forgive our fellow brothers and sisters. So the church then, the community of believers, has transformed relationships with each other, especially when you view this in contrast to the world and the way the world relates to each other. So the church is a place where forgiveness is freely given when wrong is had. That is pretty foreign to the world, to the non-believing world. The church is where, where holiness is prioritized and it's protected through the, the discipline of unrepentant sin. The church is where people who, who have no earthly reason to be in close relationship to each other treat each other as family and actually are family, actually are brothers and sisters. So that, 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 that is the local church. That is our community. And it's been noted over and over again that this community can and should be utilized in evangelism. And this happens in a few different ways. First is that the community itself, and this is kind of debated, but I'm going to go with it. I think it's true. The community itself is compelling. The community itself is compelling to non-believers. People are, if you, just, if you talk to non-Christians, they're, they're starving for actual community. And I think that happens in every age. But I do think in our particular, in our digital age, there, it's a pressing concern because many of the foundational relationships we have had in our history are, are more and more disappearing, even in the family. And the local church, which gathers together in person and has real flesh and blood relationships, stands out in this way. It's something unique. It's something different. But the nature of the community, being the community of the redeemed, of those who, who love Christ and neighbor over everything, that community is, is itself a light to the lost world. There's something different. There's something even evangelistic about the community. I've heard numerous stories of adults who, who came to faith by by hearing the gospel proclaimed, so it's not like they just come to our potlucks or covered dishes, sorry, come to our covered dishes and just bam, they get saved by the ham and the great turkey. No, the, the gospel has to be proclaimed. It, it has to be taught. Um, but it's not done in isolation of the community. It's not done in isolation of the church. In fact, the evangelism was, is, is occurring in the community of the church where the lost person actually sees the relationships and love that, that Christians have for each other. And it's sort of, you can think of it, it just puts flesh on. It's, a, it's a, an example. It's proof, affirmation of the gospel that they're hearing. It's like these people actually do love each other. They do forgive each other, just as they say Christ will forgive me. And one implication of this reality of the New Covenant community 
in its appeal to the lost is that our, our evangelism efforts, we shouldn't think we need to do them in isolation of the church community. We don't need to be lone rangers that just engage the lost all on our own. In fact, I would argue we need to do the opposite or we'll, we, we will inevitably get discouraged. Where we invite non-believers to, to hang out with our Christian community. Whether it's an informal gathering in your home or a more formal ministry fellowship that the church organizes. And another amazing thing that happens, this really fires me up, I find this to be super encouraging, um, is when this type of community evangelism occurs, is the, the lost person is then introduced to more and more Christians, just by nature of the relationships they're, they're starting to make. And thus they have more and more opportunity to hear the gospel from different sources, different sources teaching and proclaiming the same thing. And it just may be that you're, you're planting the seed and then you bring them into the community of the church and there's watering on that seed and more watering on that seed and more watering on that seed. And eventually, Lord willing, the, the, that, that seed that you planted through the, the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters evangelizing and proclaiming the truth of the gospel to this lost person, eventually that seed can sprout up in faith. So one example I thought of, maybe uh, this hypothetical, I've seen other people do this, maybe a, a, a woman's Bible study, or maybe not a woman's Bible study, a woman in the congregation hosting a Bible study for the moms in her neighborhood. So it's for the Christians and the lost. But specifically, the, the goal of the Bible study is targeting the non-believing moms in the community. So the primary purpose of the Bible study is evangelistic. And the Bible study, I would argue, would be more effective and just more comfortable for the one hosting if her sisters in Christ, fellow Christian moms in her local church community, came alongside her and, and participated in, with her. And that the, they, they did it as a community teaching and evangelizing their lost friends. I think there's a a multitude, a host of ways that we can get creative in this sort of way to do evangelism together in community. Pause here, questions, comments. I'm about done now, so y'all got to go ahead and get going. Mr. Blake. Autry. You're pretty young. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but man, you just went there. <laughs> They don't know how to talk to people. The young person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would say a, a couple things is, though it's awkward. Okay, this I'm, this isn't coming from the Bible. It's coming from my head. Um, though it's awkward, I think people, if they get past it, if we keep if they, they keep pursuing real-life relationships, are going to see the benefits of it. Um, so there might be an awkward if we're evangelizing, making relationships with 
the younger generation and they're like, why aren't you texting me? Why are you talking to me in person? Um, that we continue to do that because I, I, they will. So the, the way God has designed us is to be to have face-to-face flesh relationships that they will eventually see the appeal of it. And also, I think we could use, utilize the other means. Maybe text them. If you have a relationship with a lost person that is awkward hanging out, you can text them scripture. You can, I don't know, FaceTime. I don't know what people... Yeah, you can do things. We can be creative in how we engage the, the lost. But I do think it's, it's a thing we've got to deal with. Well, one thing that I... Yeah, uh, de- defi- I think it's definitely AIDS... Like I was saying, it's kind of, it's, it aids, it does help overcome the offer, but it, it aids in our credibility to our witness. Um, but notice I'm saying that, that there is then the witness, like there is the proclamation part. You can't just throw, the, throw that part out of it and say, they'll be saved from our love for each other. But it is a good aid and, and help. Um, one other thing uh, that I think the, the local church is important with relationships in regards to evangelism is prayer. This is, might be one of the more neglected things when we think of evangelism. Because it's hard. I mean, we, all of us who've been Christians, sometimes it's hard to see the fruit of prayer tangibly. Um, but if you were with us last time, we talked about the theology of evangelism and how God's sovereignty over salvation actually is the, the, the catalyst, our, our only hope for evangelism. You'll remember that then prayer is an essential aspect of our evangelism because it's ultimately God that we're dependent upon to, to move, to work in the non-believer's life. And so one massively important and primary ways and really, I would say maybe one of the easiest ways that we can all participate in evangelism is by praying about it, praying for non-believers, praying for our brothers and sisters who are proclaiming the gospel. Maybe they, they, they have a conversation that week with the non-believer. And I think it would be just wonderful to have a church, which I'm saying, not, not saying we're, we don't do this, but it, it's something we can continue to grow in and strive for of constantly, continually in our ministries, praying for the lost and our evangelism efforts. Um, I would argue prayer is so essential to our efforts in evangelism that it really should become a, a habit in how we pray and how we carve out our, our space, both in our, our personal prayer lives, but also in our public prayers, um, our prayers in our, our care groups, prayers in our, our prayer meeting. Because without God acting, Right? We're, we're utterly, utterly hopeless in our evangelistic efforts. And the, the last way I think the local church, not the last way ever, but the last way I'm speaking of today, there's probably a lot more. But the last way I think the local church and evangelism relate is actually the worship service, the Sunday service. And more specifically, inviting lost friends to join in, to join, be invited to our worship services. Now, there's a tension here, and I think we need to be careful, because the church has got this very, very wrong in some places in recent years. Some, in their desire to reach the lost with the gospel in their worship services, have so altered the service to make the non-believer comfortable, to make the non-believer comfortable in the service 
And so it's commonly known today as the, the seeker-sensitive model of ministry. So some notable practices of these churches are to incorporate musical styles that are more appealing to the culture of the day, or shortening sermons and really the whole length of the service to appease the non-believer's comfort. Uh, really, I think the most heinous way this works out is actually the, the dumbing down of the, of the preaching, the dumbing down of the, the gospel proclamation, um, and even the blatant glossing over the quote-unquote hard parts of Scripture to not offend or turn off lost people. You see, the, the whole philosophy of ministry, the whole enterprise is completely backwards because in truth, the, the New Testament shows us the church service is fundamentally and primarily for believers, not for non-believers. It's for, like I've said before, it's for our growth and knowledge, for our, our edification, for our being filled up by the means of grace that God has appointed us to do as a local church to grow us in grace. And the result of that is not primarily that the non-believers should, should feel comfortable. In fact, I would say the non-believer, buyer services, should feel comfortable. I mean uncomfortable. Should feel uncomfortable in our services. If we're to preach the whole counsel of God's word, which by God's grace we, we do at this church then that word will confront the non-believer in their unbelief and call them to repentance. That is not something we should avoid. That is actually why we'd want to bring non-believers here. So to structure our services by taking that away actually just destroys any reason bringing a non-believer to one of our services. That's the reason we would want them to come. And that's what, that's what occurs when the true gospel is preached week after week. It's an uncomfortable experience for the lost person, but it's not something we should ever seek to alleviate for them. Another example, the, the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, it's our practice. It's, it should be partaken of by believers, only believers. And that, that act of marking off believers and non-believers should cause the non-believer to be uncomfortable, the non-believer present should feel a level of uncomfortability as they're excluded from the family meal of God's people. And in that exclusion, in that, that confrontation with the Word of God, it can, it, this, it, it historically has been the means, the, the workings to bring people to saving face of, to Him. But, and, and this is big, I think it's helpful that, that just because our, our services should make non-believers feel uncomfortable in a certain sense, we should strive to be very hospitable to the non-believers that come. So the distinction that I think we should make when thinking about this evangelism in our services is that I think we need to make the, the lost people should not feel comfortable in our worship services, but they should feel welcomed. They shouldn't feel comfortable, but they should definitely feel welcomed. And this means perhaps us getting uncomfortable for our, our lost neighbors who come. Maybe going over and talking to them instead of your, your, your friend, or giving up your comfortable seat that you love for so many years so that they can sit there. 
Um, there's many ways that we can serve, be hospitable to our lost neighbors who join us. Um, but I do think it's a good practice, a, a very good practice to invite non-believing friends, family to the church service, service because they get to experience, right? They get to experience firsthand the, the transformed gospel community looks like. They, they, they'll, no, no doubt they'll have the privilege of hearing the gospel proclaimed to them, hearing the gospel taught to them, and a top, an opportunity for the Lord to, to work through the ministry of His Word to bring the lost to Him. So coming to a, a worship service can be one of our primary evangelistic strategies, inviting our lost friends to the service. And I'll just end by saying, I hope you can see... Um, what I'm advocating for when, when we think about the local church and evangelism is really a multi-pronged uh, attack or, or strategy in, in proclaiming the gospel to our lost family and friends. There's just a, a, a wide array, a diversity of ways that we can, as a local church, evangelize. Um, and for all of us to be involved in evangelism, no matter our gifting, our comfortability level, um, we can all be involved in evangelism as a local church. So that's all I have for us today. Next week, we're not meeting because of the Thanksgiving holiday. In December, we'll meet back up, talk about some, some practical ways of sharing our faith, maybe think about how, how we can use our, our testimonies in our uh, gospel proclamation. All right. We are out of time. Any final? All right, we are dismissed.